When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello, listeners. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, and we're here to dissect a roller coaster of a Friday night down at the cottage as Parker pinched a point from his former home on the banks of the Thames with a Solanke smash and grab snipe cancelled out by Tosin's terrific touch of his tets, sending the Hammersmith end into raptures. My name is Jack Collins. I will be your host today. Joining me to work our way through the action from Scott's return to Craven Cottage at the helm of Bournemouth, Mr. Farrell Monk. Hello, everyone. Jack, that was an excellent, uh, excellent intro. Appreciate it, Mr. Don Betts. Yeah, it was all right intro, wasn't it? Uh, average. <laughs> That's as bad as kind as I'm going to get from you, isn't it? Yeah, about it, mate. And of course, Mr. Adam Farkarson. Adam, how you doing, mate? Fine, thank you, Jack. All good? All well? Yeah, all good. I mean, we're still top of the league. I think it's probably the you know the big takeaway from all of these things. Um, but we'll get into the game in a second. And AF, you're going to start us off with some three-word reviews. I am indeed. Um, as you can tell, these were quite um, enjoyable reading. So we've got Carlinho with too many cooks in relation to some of his mind-bending mermaid dive defending. Um, Adbron Smith with textbook Parker tactics, uh, which I've got to disagree with just a little bit because I don't remember us being quite as aggressive as his players were, but I assume we'll get on to that one. Uh, FFC Seds with kickoff glitch. It did definitely feel like we were playing a FIFA beta release for the first 30 seconds of the second half. CDM84 with popping Tosin's cherry. Uh, first times are rarely that good. And <laughs> Dean Jones with I love TC. So do I, Dean. So do I. And happy birthday for today. There you go. Double whammy for DJ there. Uh, all, all good. Very good. I'm, I'm excited to see which one of those gets the nod, but I think there are some uh, some phenomenal entries. And I did enjoy reading through them as well. Um, let's come on to the game. And Dom will start with, I mean, it felt like one of those games to begin with where the ball just was not going to go into the back of the net. And it got to about 70 minutes. And you're looking at this going, we're just not going to score today, are we? Yeah, no, no. I was sort of saying to my mate Ross when we were, when we were watching the game, I was like, this isn't going to be one of those days, is it, where we just don't, we don't, especially the ordeal I had at Preston the week before where, I mean, I saw 45 minutes of football essentially lost, watch us lose 1-0 to a, um, a Chet Evans goal. But yeah, it was one of those games where I was like, surely we are going to score here. And if you told, if, if you were telling me, you know, as I said, at 70 minutes that Tossin was going to be the one who was going to score the goal to, to be, be the equaliser, I would like, absolutely no chance. But I said, we got what we deserved. I mean, as AF mentioned, with this sort of you know lack, lack of concentration, I guess you can say yeah, for the first um, for the for Bournemouth's goal. But yeah, I said in, in regard to like the overall performance, I thought we played well. In regard to would I have taken a one-one before the game? Yes, I would have taken a one-one before the game. And as we saw with QPR losing two to Stoke today, we're not losing any ground on third place. So yeah, I, I think I think you know overall, yes, we didn't get the win, but performance-wise, I thought it was good. And yeah, I said we're still top of the league, and I think that's the most important thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Farrell, I was going to come on to this. The fact that if we, if Bournemouth had gone last weekend and won and not conceded that ridiculous goal to Coventry at the end of their game, they'd come into this game ahead of us. It would have felt like a an absolute must win, right? To get back on top, to push it. As it was, being top of the league uh, and being in front of them when, when kickoff came round, it felt a little bit more like a point was an acceptable result for Fulham. Now, the balance of play, we probably should have won the game. But on the whole, a point before kickoff probably didn't seem like the worst idea in the world. No, not at all. And Fulham aren't going to get promoted or win the league just on this game alone. There are 45 other games uh, to go. And as we've seen, as the league has started to normalise, as we tiptoe our way to the the midway point that, you know, it's not going to be, it might not necessarily be Fulham and Bournemouth just absolutely running away with it. There are other teams in here with some quality who are going to take points off us as we have certainly seen in the last few weeks. Um, and it does mean that it, it the title challenge doesn't hinge on what happened on Friday night. Um, you know, there's so many things to, to, to talk about it around it that how people might feel before the game. I certainly think the, pragma, the pragmatic view is, yes, you take the point beforehand. But as the game is going on and Fulham are carving out more and more chances and also the nature of the way that Fulham conceded, kind of felt, well, actually, we're a little bit disappointed to come away with just a point. But all in all, you, you've got to say that a point is is fine. Well, I think everyone's okay with it in the end. That's it. Fine, isn't it? It just feels fine. And, and AF, when we look at this game and, and we look at how things kind of panned out, um, it was a game where Fulham created chances, where we were, you know, the better side, where we were in the ascendancy. There was lots to like about this Fulham performance, you know, finishing aside. For sure. I mean, in the first half, we had like 11 shots or something like that. It was when when you look back at the first half, we probably should have been probably 2-0, 3-0 up, I would say comfortably. Uh, I think if it isn't for, as we mentioned, some of that class defending from Bournemouth, that hurts me to say it. But also, probably I, I felt a little bit of nerves from the likes of maybe Carvalho and Mitrovic as well. They had a bit of a point to prove. Um, so although Cabano was there making as many chances as he physically could, within the first half. We just couldn't, as you say, get ourselves into the ascendancy. But I went into the second half feeling positive, thinking if we actually get the same amount of chances, we'll finish a couple more off. Um, I saw Silva was going absolutely ballistic in the first half, and we know how much he hates missing chances. So he must have gone in there at the halftime break thinking, how are we not winning this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and Dom, when we kind of take to that point, Alexander Mitrovic, quiet. I think there was a lot of narrative about how this was his kind of redemption game, how this was going to be, the you know, the game he proved a point to Scott Parker. There was a lot of chat of how good it would be if Mitrovic scores and celebrates in front of him. But really had not a, not a poor game, I would say, but felt uh, some of the touches felt a little bit heavy, did feel a little bit anonymous through points of it. It wasn't his best day in Fulham shirt. No, it wasn't. Obviously, I think the main chance, I guess you could say, yeah, was the obviously the header which the Nitin Skavano missed a rebound for. I think I think that's the only big chance you could say yeah, during the game. But I think at you know this whole the whole illness that went through the squad. I mean, yes, they may have recovered from it, but I think they're still going to be they're still going to be affected by 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 an illness that sort of is ravaging the entire squad. And I think. In regard to, yeah, people say, oh, Mitchell didn't have many chances. But to be honest, I don't remember Solanke having many, apart from the the, the goal he, he took, to be honest. Obviously, there was a save made uh, by Roenick in the first half. But I think I think really that it was it was, it was was a game where all the chances seemed to be coming up um, from both teams, from the wide positions. And I think, you know, Cabano, as much as he can skin a man so many times, it's just a 
with the rebound, as I mentioned, he could have taken. But I said, I'm not really too worried that Mitrovic obviously had a bit of an off game, really. Because, no, as, as I said, as, as, as we've been saying, we're still top of the league. We, we got a point and we probably should have got three against the team, the only other team, really, who we see challenging us this season. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's a point of concern. It's obviously everyone will be pointing to it because of the whole redemption thing against Scott Parker. But I think that at the end of the day, Mitch, we know Mitrovic is going to score goals. And, you know, when, when, we, when we go into this run of games over the Christmas period, you know, as soon as he gets that first goal back, He's gonna start. He's gonna get into a run of scoring goals again. Yeah, no, I don't think anyone doubts that. I mean, fans would come on to you know Bournemouth and, and what they created. And Dom mentioned you know the save in the first half, of the goal. Um, there was also a header that Solanke probably should have done a little bit better with in the first half. Um, but that was it. That was the sum total of of what Bournemouth really felt like they created. And whilst Ryan Christie was busy, I, I thought he, you know he wasn't necessarily uh, you know the sharp creative force we've seen in B4 Bournemouth in various games and Jay Nantony was quite quiet as well it didn't feel like you know aside from the odd moment the odd Scott Parker trick and we'll come on to the goal obviously it did feel like they were they were blunted in many ways and it was a take what you can get and, and hang on to it yeah there was also the the one where uh, Solanke took on Tosin and and sent him for a hot dog and I've got to say that Solanke did well to make the space and get a shot away and um, on his left foot and probably should have worked the keeper a bit better. I've got it's it's not great defending from Tosin. It, it kind of reminds me of that um, Cavalero goal against Huddersfield where he did almost exactly the same move and scored. And I I just remember saying afterwards, yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, uh, Cavalero has come away with two goals there, but in the Premier League that doesn't happen. And I think that. If Solanke gets a better finish on that, I would say exactly the same thing. I think it was very, very championship defending right there. And Tosin should have done a lot better. Um, he almost invites him to sort of show him down the outside. But I don't think he realises how much space there is behind him there. Um, so I think that Solanke did did well there to make create that space. But like you said, apart from those maybe like three, well, those two other sort of like half chances and, and the goal that we'll, we'll come on to. I don't think they created very much, but you know, it was it was a. Uh, what do we expect? Scott Parker is in the opposition dugout. We know what to expect. I mean, the performance overall from that from from Bournemouth was had all the hallmarks of a Scott Parker team. You know, they were they were trying to. You know, there was training ground routines. Uh, that's where the goal came from in the end. You know, we talked about it in the week, as they said. There, there was also the fact that they try, once they got the the lead, they tried to sit back as much as possible and soak up the pressure. Uh, and then, obviously, right at the end, they decided to bring on uh, Chris Meppham to go five at the back, the the praised five at the back. Although they didn't concede in those three or four minutes that they had five at the back as well. Also, they tried to shit house as much as possible. Um, let's we'll not come on to we we'll come on to Parker's side and actually what Parker was, you know, doing on on, on the whole thing in in the second part we got a question about it but I, I do want to talk about the goal and um Adam you t- you said about the in the three word reviews it felt like a FIFA glitch I thought it made me laugh a little bit because on the whole that kind of coming out for the second half slowly felt like a Scott Parker hangover with Fulham and for Scott Parker to then go and you know actually exploit it um did in in some ways make me just crack up with the irony of the whole thing yeah it's one of those things as you say Scott Park hangover we've not we've not really got rid of under Marco Silva we do come out of the second half and I remember always thinking what what even happens at time? to have a little nap and then come out and then wake up after five minutes there's always chance of wakey wakey but it's 
really a case in, in this instance that we were playing a high line for the entirety of the game. In fact, it scared me how high our line was in the fact that most of the offsides were really just because they were on the halfway line. Um, but for this one particularly, we were playing a high line and Solanke runs a really long way to go right the way around our defence, past Dennis Adoy, and then in through the back. Now, I don't think individually there is errors all over the defence, but I think as a team as well, somebody has to be pointing and screaming and saying, what are we going to do about him? Like he's the most dangerous player and we've just let him run in behind. Um, now, whether Parker, you know, had said this is something that Fulham do start slowly, I don't think anybody anticipated that we would quite switch off as much as we did there. And at least we hopefully can learn our lesson from there that we never get done with anything quite as obvious uh, in any future games. Yeah, I mean, it's a dink over the top, Dom, and uh, and we get done on it. But, you know, you look at some of these things and, and the fact that Fulham have had those kind of slow 15 minutes after the break. The one good thing, I suppose, is it meant that we didn't have a slow 15 minutes because I think we were so shell-shocked by the goal um, that we actually came to life a little bit earlier than we normally do. Yeah, I think I think actually the goal, if anything, it stopped being Scott Parker, it stopped Bournemouth attacking. Like, yeah. if, if that game goes nil-nil into the 60th, 65th minute here, they're still going to be trying to score a goal. They get that goal and Scott Parker does what Scott Parker does, which we which you know it is. He gets that 1-0 lead and then tries to protect it. I think, actually, in, from a born perspective, that goal probably came at the worst possible time for them because it meant they were basically defending for the entire half until Tosin equalised in, what, the 83rd, 84th minute. And I think, you know, as much as, obviously, they, I think, what, Travis got a bit of time wasted and what, probably after 50, 60, 60 odd minutes, right? Yeah, I think it was and before I, the 60th minute. Yeah, and so I think, I know I'm, we're sort of analysing sort of someone else's goal, but I think for them that although it's a great, it's, it's, it's a well-worked sort of lapse in, con, lapse in our concentration, if anything, it, it totally sort of ruined what their game plan could have been because I'm sorry, there's no way you're defending a 1-0 lead against this Marco Silva team and not con- and not conceding for... 40, 45 minutes when you're inviting so much pressure on us. You obviously, we spoke about the Cabano chance from the Mitrovic header that came from a rebound, obviously. And then Tossin scores from obviously that brilliant Tom Kearney cross. All we need to do is get a glancing header on it and it's going into the back of the net. But I think that Bournemouth's game plan totally changed as soon as they got that goal. Yes, it's a lapse in concentration. Yes, I missed the goal because I was just finishing my pint, just about to walk up. To be honest, mate, but, like, I don't necessarily even... Bl- normally, I blame you because normally someone scores on like 52 and you haven't come up from half time yet. But this one, I can actually give you the benefit of the doubt. I was still talking to my brother <laughs> and they kicked off and I looked the weird, around and the weird, the, weirdest thing, the weirdest thing about it was that, um, weirdly in the concourse, you didn't hear any noise when this went in. I don't know if half the Bournemouth fans were still in the concourse or something. but like Plausibly, so. Yeah. Yeah, but, but but like I looked towards the screen and just saw Bournemouth for celebrating. I was like, well, well what's happened here then? <laughs> like, I'm pre- I thought I was getting back to the uh, second half on time for once, and uh, no, uh, we were where we were on the down. But I think I said I think it really, I think it really affected Bournemouth in regard to what they were going to do for this game because, as I said, they started wasting time. They sat back. They did what Scott Scott Parker does, and you know they were just inviting the pressure on. And although it got to, when it got to like the 70, 75th minute, I was like, are we going to score here? Once we did score, I'd never thought that Bournemouth were going to then try counter us to try score another. It was either this game's ending 1-1 or we're going to win the game 2-1. Yeah, no, yeah, I think that's probably fair enough. I mean, Farrell, a couple of other bits, I suppose, that we should probably discuss while we're on the game. The fact that Fulham were denied one stonewall penalty, another 
possible penalty and a probable red card from where I'm standing um, on Lewis Cook. It, it didn't feel like a particularly brilliant refereeing display. Um, not that we see many of those in the championship, um, but in, in particular under the lights on TV, um, it did feel like the referee bottled this a little bit. Yeah, um, I think that the, you know, looking at the individual sort of decisions, um, the Harry Wilson one, you can kind of understand why it couldn't have been why it couldn't have happened because it happens very very quickly at normal speed um and it but it that kind of situation does happen a lot and it's not like the foot comes through and he sort of like flies up immediately it's sort of like there is a tiny bit of delayed reaction it is a penalty let's let's you know let's be absolutely clear about it because it happens so quickly though you can kind of understand why it wasn't given but it shouldn't have been given it should have been seen by both the referee and the and the assistant um the red card I'm I'm still I've I'm still a bit on the fence about it. I still haven't quite seen an angle or um a, a definitive angle or a definitive sort of replay that sort of shows me either way whether it should be, you know, a red card. Is it, you know, out of control? Is it com- you know uh, is it completely reckless? He sort of he sort of like goes into the initial challenge but the the wet turf sort of like propels him upwards like a nice slip and slide you play on as a kid sort of thing and then he just sort of you know the player he tries to jump out of the way I can't actually remember who it was on to be honest I'm still sort of thinking about Lewis Cook sliding with his you know ass in the air sort of thing um but I'm still unsure whether it's a red card or not I, I'm still yet to see a definitive angle on it I don't think overall the the ref made many friends on either side to be honest I don't think he was favoring one or the other you know indirectly but it wasn't a great performance but to be honest the game was so good when you're watching it as a neutral, I don't think the ref is the the overall talking point, to be honest. I think that the goal is the action. The... I was going to say, with the Lewis Cook challenge, it's I think it's one of those where a, a still makes it look a lot worse than a challenge is in, in real time. Because yeah. I, 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 I think... I, this I, is a view. Because I think, I, I think that even a, lot of even a lot of challenges, if you play it in slow motion or you play it or you show a still... It looks a lot worse than what the referee is actually going to be seeing on 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 the picture because obviously if if he's just if he's just following through and that's what happens that is what happens but if you're showing a steal of his studs up on someone yes that is what happened but realistically how many of those challenges do you see sort of week in week out kind of thing so I I, I said I, if if the Lewis Cook challenges are full and play on a ball and flight, I don't I don't want him being sent off there so I think it's it's I'm not saying it's clutching at straws or anything but. I think that a still or a slow-mo can make things look a lot worse than often they, they often are. I was going to say, do you think that's partly a weakness of VAR? Because you do see them when they're looking at the at the monitors. They look at angles that are... They they sometimes make the tackle uh, look a lot worse than it is, like they do in the in the when they go and review it in the, at half-time with the with the pundits in the in the box they like slow it down massively and then they go how how's the referee completely missed that much like the penalty decision with Harry Wilson like how has the referee missed that yeah, but when you realize it's, it's always, the referee it's always has... weird because it's not the what that's not what the referee has seen yeah the referee, the referee has seen a, a something in full time yes if you get still if someone studs up on someone's you know chin or ankle yes it looks like it should be horrific it's a horrific challenge it should be a red card but Again, people are overanalyzing something which the referee technically hasn't seen because he's just seen a challenge in 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 full speed, and it's it seemed like into a fifty fifty challenge. But yeah, I I, to, I totally agree. I think that you know slow mo and 
watching things and looking at stills just totally sort of disrupts the way a referee is actually refereeing a game. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a fair point. I just think with this one, he's high and mali- and it's I think it's malicious intent. Um, I, I think he comes in, it's a lunge tackle, which is never a good look at, you know, the best of times. He's, he's high and no matter what the, the actual terms of, I actually don't think the still proves very much at all. What I think is when you watch it in full time, it's a full-blooded tackle with his studs up and he misses the ball. That for me is a red card every single time. That's, that's was, that was my kind of statement on it. But look, that's the, that's the, the beauty of the game, right? Game of opinions and all that. That. So, um, so that's how it works. But there was a few calls that, that Fulham had been robbed in some senses by the officiating. But I think that might be stretching the word just a little bit. Um, right after the break, we're going to be talking about Scott Parker uh, and this Bournemouth side and how they're a little bit different uh, to what we saw when he was at the cottage. Don't go anywhere. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast with Mr. Farrell Monk. Hello. Mr. Adam Farkarson. Evening. Mr. Don Betts. Hello, hello. And me, Jack Collins. Um, it's about time we talked about Scott EP and we got some interesting questions um, over the course of things. But I thought that this one from at Fulham Thomas was probably uh, one we could look into in a little bit more depth. We're going to do all the questions at the end. But I think this is a, a segment in itself. And I know, AF, you have some things about Parker and his kind of the way he presented himself on Friday night. But before we get to that, it's, it's a, Thomas says, Were you surprised at how Bournemouth played? They looked quick on the counter and also were quite dirty. Two things we rarely saw under Parker. Now, Lydia uh, Campbell, who's often on here, said that it felt like Bournemouth were on a mission to get every single player booked, uh, which I did think was a nice way uh, of putting it. But it did change Dom you know this is not what we saw with Parker's Fulham really ever you know we were they were very transitional uh, they looked to get the ball to Solanke quickly uh, and also were were very very aggressive yeah I said it's it's not what we saw at Fulham but I think it is it is what we've seen from Scott Parker's Bournemouth side I think if you look at the players he's got as a disposal the way they're playing this season is the way you you they they can utilise the bet to their best ability the players and the, and, and the options they've got at their, at their disposal here. So I said it is very it is not I would say it's very different. I say it's different, but I think there's still sort of similarities and differences as you, as you said to the way we saw Scott Parker at Fulham. But I think it's it's Scott Parker being Scott Parker by trying to get the best out of the squad he's got at his disposal as possible. So I think I, th- I think like I said once they went one nil in the lead as I've been mentioning. It, we did sort of see the return of yeah, little things, parkable and the things in it. But I think when it when the game was at nil nil, it was very different to what we were expecting. I think the first half was a very even game, to be honest. I know we probably had more of the chances, but when it when when it came to you know possession and you know getting hitting teams on the counter attacks, we were getting done on the counter attack quite a few times by the Scott Parker. It was the first time I've sort of been playing a team as a Fulham fan and. Being worried when the team come forward. There's been there's been other teams you play this season when the team comes forward. I was like, yeah, I'm not that bothered. I don't I don't really see them sort of creating much this season. But yeah, I said it's different. But I think there are still 
I think there is more, still more similarities with this t- this team we've seen from Scott Parker than there is differences. But yeah, I said it. it there were the slight differences, but that what happens when you've got a totally different squad going into a totally different type of season. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, Farrell, do you think the directness ups, you know, kind of unsettled us a little bit? Because there was that element where we saw Tosin, especially in the first half, and Tim Ream, both a little bit shaky um, with those balls over the top, with the, you know, the amount that Bournemouth were coming through, you know, and, and, and looking to get over and beyond them and turn them around. It felt like it was almost unexpected from a Fulham perspective. Um, I, I've I've got to say, when as I watched it, it didn't it didn't feel that way to me. I, I felt like, on the most part, Tim Ream and Adarayo did manage it really well. I thought. I think that when there are just two particular points where Tosin didn't um, didn't perform so well, and that was the Solanke chance and the Solanke goal. And that kind of overshadows probably the entirety of their performance. I think what shocked me more than most, and I know Bournemouth are known for it this season, was their high pressing game, which is very different from how Fulham tended to perform under Scott Parker um, in the last couple of years. It's what Parker and wanted I, to do with Cav, right? That's why we saw yeah. Cav up top, but it just didn't really work. It didn't work. Um, probably because when we did win it, we didn't score. Um, I think that that's probably the main thing. And we had to change sort of style and system a few times throughout that and we couldn't get used to it. But, you know, Bournemouth did try the high press quite often. And as we know, we've got, you know, we've got a very, very good footballing defensive shape, you know, just, just, you know, we talked about the centre-backs, but we've also got Joe Bryan, who's a very good footballer, although I don't think he had this best game uh, on Friday night, uh, but you know that's what happens when you know, leave him out for so long. He has lack of game time, and he's all of a sudden thrust into the starting eleven again. Uh, and Dennis Adoy, obviously the legend himself, Dennis Adoy is obviously an excellent footballer with the ball at his feet or in his back. Um, uh, so I think that there were times where I felt that Parker was trying to manage the game a little bit, and that's probably why we were caught cold a lot of the time with some a couple of balls over the top and he they tried to change the tack a little bit especially with Ryan Christie playing a sort of like free role um a little bit in the first half and it allowed Philip Billing to sort of change his position quite a lot and he was quite he was playing quite a bit further forward than he's used to and what happened after the goal I felt was that Philip Billing was able to sort of come back into the center midfield um into his more sort of natural position because the amount of times Fulham were able to win the ball back straight after we'd lost the ball high up the pitch was phenomenal. There was so many moments where Carvalho was winning the ball back, so many moments where um, Harry Wilson was winning the ball back. And that was them running back on, backwards to, to retrieve the ball, not on the front foot. Um, so I think there was so many tacticals, little tactical decisions in the game that was working effectively for both Fulham and Bournemouth. Um, and that's probably why we saw the scoreline at the end of the day. Yeah, I don't think that's fair. And AF, I mean, pressing is an interesting one because obviously we, we saw Bournemouth execute it quite well in the first half. And then as they sat further and further back, Fulham started to, to get some joy. There was a point at the start of the second half where Fulham just couldn't seem to coordinate the press whatsoever. Um, and so Mitrovic would go, he'd get passed around and no one would be backing up. And he'd look around and be like, lads. Um, but it did, as Farrell says, it started to work. Fulham started to find that coordination. And especially when Bobby Reid came on, 
Um, I thought that left-hand side of, of Wilson and Reed uh, pushing down and, and making kind of that aspect work on that side, we, we saw so much high ball one. And, you know, it's where Fulham started to really pen Bournemouth in. So it does show you how important that can be. Yeah, for sure. I was actually going to say one of the biggest turning points we had in that game was, well, unspoken turning points was Bobby Reed coming on. Everyone will speak about the impact of Kearney. Absolutely agreed. But Bobby Reed coming on really did transform that right-hand side because, as Farrell alluded to in the last point, what we used to do last season was try and win the ball high up, but then really not have too much of a chance of scoring. Whereas when we won the ball higher up this time and the press, as you say, looked a little bit more coordinated, you had more players generally in that um well, attacking their left back. As soon as we actually got the ball back, Bobby Reed looked dangerous because he could either play in Carvalho, Wilson, even, you know, Dennis Adoy started to actually do more overlaps as well. So a whole right-hand side became seriously dangerous. What I would like to see, though, is in those times before we have to bring on a sub, how do we coordinate that press in a way that doesn't make our players completely knackered but does actually look like a plan? Um, I agree with you. When Mitrovic was chasing... And down, I noticed one specifically around the 40th minute. Mitrovic goes to actually chase down um, Gary Cahill and then he misses the ball. Cahill's already passed it off and there's literally no one in behind him at all helping him. And there's no, there's not any chance of Mitrovic getting the ball back. So he's wasted a load of energy. We already saw towards the end of the game, he probably didn't have enough in the tank. But yeah, I would like to see our um, pressing game used but it, it can only work when you've got everybody working together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen that, Dom. We've seen so many sides fail to execute correct presses. But let's come on to those substitutions properly because, you know, that's where, you know, managers get the the big headlines, right? This is where the get the big bucks lines come out for the, uh, you know, when a manager makes a substitution, it changes the game. Um, and I actually, at the time, was a bit confused with the two substitutions, not the two players coming on, who I thought were the right right players to come on. But I was a little bit confused that Harry Wilson hadn't gone off, who I didn't think was particularly brilliant until Bobby Reed came on, weirdly. Um, but also, you know, John McHale Serry coming off instead of Harrison Reed when we were struggling to kind of spray the ball around and they weren't playing through our middle at that point. It felt like a bit of a strange decision. But you know what, that's why Marco Silva's in charge, because it really did pay off. Yeah, I think the substitutions were were perfect. They were they they were the things that sort of I wouldn't say it switched the game in our favour as such, but it was just a switch. It was just sort of the slight tactical changes that were able to create more chances for us. And yeah, I said like when when John McIlserry was coming off, I was surprised as well. But I said we. I think what I think the issue with that is that I think we are. I don't know if it's just you, but there's this predisposition about Harrison Reed and the position he plays where. This season, Harrison Reed isn't the Harrison Reed that we've seen in the last couple of seasons. He's playing a totally different type of position this season, but that also means he can still shift back to the position we've seen in him previously. So I, th- I, th- I think that yes, it was it was a surprise to sort of a lot of fans that John McElserry was the centre midfielder they, that Marcus Silva decided to substitute. But I think the substitutions worked to an absolute T. And you know, Harry Wilson, I said I, di- I didn't think he had a great game, but I think. As you said, once Bobby Decadovery came on, he, his game sort of his, his sort of game completely changed. And I think Bobby Reed was exactly the type of player we needed to come on in the game at that time because he's someone who's who's got that work ethic. He's someone who's is always going to put one hundred percent, ten percent in, and he's always he's always going to do his best. And he and he, and he creates chances. So it's as simple as that. And then obviously Tom Kearney's the one who whips in the ball for Tossin's goal. And I, so I think, yeah, yeah, Marco Silva, I wouldn't say it's a masterclass, but the substitutions, as, as I said, worked to an absolute T. I think it worked to an absolute TC, I would say. There the, he is. The, there the, he I is. think 
the 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 fact that we are able I mean let's let's be honest here the fact we can bring on a player like Tom Kearney who would walk into pretty much every championship every championship team is 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 great and we are very privileged for it and also we're able to add that extra dimension with players like Bobby Decker Reed as well we saw the fact that when they decided to bring on Pearson and go a bit more of a a normal shape they were sort of like going man to man all over the pitch and when you have players like Tom Kearney who is just a joy to watch and how clever he is at finding little pockets of space like as soon as the if the ball is on one side of the pitch you watch him move because he knows he two pass ahead he's going to go and get it so he loses his marker because he's looking elsewhere and he saw it time and time again especially when for the goal the way that his he, he sort of like he doesn't start off the move but he's always moving to see okay that ball is over there right now to in two passes time I need to be here because that's where I'm going to go get it and that's why he has five ten yards of space to shift it out of his body and get that ball in I think it worked really, really well. I think in that situation, the fact that we can bring on players who, okay, they're going man to man. So we need to bring on two different types of players uh, to unlock the system and sort of lose our markers is is great. And Marco Silva used it to 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 our absolute benefit. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and, and that's it. it what, what Tom Kenny brought, right, was that element of control in the final third that Fulham had been slightly lacking in terms of everything was working towards goal, obviously, as we, we pushed them further and further back. But it felt like in the final third, Fulham were quite frantic until Tom Kenny came on and just started to slow things down a little bit. And, and that, Adam potentially was the the key difference and obviously leads to the goal and probably could have led to, to another had, it, had the first one come a little bit earlier. Yeah, I think the thing with Tom Kearney as well that we, we often underappreciate is that he does have this calming presence. There's a lot of questions around his leadership or, you know, how is it? Is he not vocal enough on the pitch yet? But when you've got a player that can literally orchestrate a team by just playing incredible football, I'd quite like to have that as our captain. So when he did come on, what I noticed um, happened quite a lot up front as well was that no players were just making runs for the sake of it. They were always and they would make a pass knowing that Tom was likely to find them whenever he had the ball. Um, so, And that's exactly what to- uh, Tosin does as well for the goal. There's several players knowing that they are going to get found. And there was quite a lot of opportunities as well, I found, from our corners specifically. They weren't working when we were just putting them into the box. But when you had Kearney on the outside of the box, it meant that people had to come out and actually you know, press Kearney which gave us a little bit more space in the box. So I think it's not just unlocking space for himself. He's unlocking space for most of the team, which is obviously good to see. I think the problem is, is if you start Kearney at the moment, is that you wouldn't get probably the same control that we do sometimes have with Seri and Reed starting a game. It's nice to be able to bring him on when we do need to get a goal or we're in an attacking phase of a game. But I think maybe starting a game with Tom unless it's against one of the maybe lesser teams in the league, it's going to be difficult to do to fit all three of those into the same team. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. After the break, we are going to be answering the rest of your questions. So stick with us. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. 
From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast with me, Jack Collins, Farrell Monk, Adam Farcarson, and Dom Betts. And we're getting into your questions. And I'm going to start, well, there's a couple on the defence, but I'm going to start with a, a very specific part of the defence. And Michael B asked, did Friday settle the debate that Robinson is a huge part of our success and Joe Bryan simply doesn't offer anywhere near the same output defensively and offensively? Now, this got a, a little bit of kickback uh, on Twitter. Saw a couple of people saying they both have positives and negatives. I think they're both good. Saw people saying that Brian's barely played this season, so it's not fair to judge him too harshly. But Adam, it's it's an interesting one, and you know we've discussed the Robinson Brian debate at length. Um, but what we haven't maybe done in in quite a while is is talked about them in the sense that you know they do offer different things, and the left side seemed weaker without Robinson on Friday night. Yeah, it did, but. I, I actually saw some of the kickback on Twitter and I, I agree with both sides. I don't want to sit on the fence too much, but I've personally been in the, the opinion that they're fairly similar players overall, but there's different traits that will suit different games. The thing that we saw on Friday night was actually that Joe Bryan wasn't having his best game either um, and that it would have been in those situations great to have been able to bring on Robinson and switch up the two. I also don't think it's fair with Joe Bryan not playing for so long for him to play in a massive game against Bournemouth at such high intensity, it felt like a Premier League game as well. Probably thrown in the deep end quite a lot. And he didn't make that many mistakes. It was more just the fact, did he offer the same things that Robinson would have done? Now, that's a very difficult question to answer again, because it's kind of, you know, we're never going to get to the answer in, until April when we play them and Robinson maybe plays there. But there wasn't that much room along the flanks, maybe for him to have actually got forward and made some of his marauding runs. And if he had have done, we would have been left exposed at the back as well. I don't think it settles the debate um, of whether Robinson is a huge part of our success. I do think that um, that Robinson gets a harsher time around his crossing, saying you know he has no end product and things like that. I don't think that Joe's final product was exactly great on Friday night, um, but I think that it would take a, a run of games for Joe Bryan to be playing to be able to settle that debate. Yeah, I mean, Dom, it's... it's... It's going to rage, isn't it? It doesn't feel like there's going to be an end to this. There was a couple of crosses from Joe Bryan into the second half that started when he was a little bit deeper, starting to whip him in that felt a little bit more dangerous. But we didn't see the best of him. And that's potentially just because, you know, there was more defensive work to do than what we've seen across the course of the season so far, really. Yeah, but I said, I think I said on a previous podcast this season, I said the first position I've been looking to improve when we get to the Premier League next season is left back. I think... I think both both of them, as has been mentioned, they both have their positives and they have their negatives. But I, I both I, I do believe that both aren't Premier League quality. I think both, as I said, I think up until up until the Bournemouth game, I would have said 
in regard to the performances they've had this season, Joe Bryan has actually performed better on average than Anthony Robinson. And I, and I, don't, and I, and I, and I believe that because I think Anthony Robinson is... A lot, I think Anthony Robinson is better going forward, but I think uh, defensively, there's a lot to be desired for when it comes to Anthony Robinson. I think, and I think Joe Bryan, when it comes to an overall fullback, is probably a better player. But as I said, he, you said he, he has never had a consistent run in the team, especially this season. And obviously, with, with last season, he was sort of in and out of the team, although he scored that goal sort of away at Old Trafford. Um, but yeah, I think I think both aren't up to the calibre we're going to need if we get when if and when we get promoted this season. Because I think we that is the first that is the first position I'd be looking to improve, as I said. So I don't think it's um, a matter of comparing the both. I think they're both good enough to do a job for us now. But I think it is definitely a position which we've seen this in because we've seen them both make mistakes. Uh, especially in the defensive third, that we need we need to look to improve on. And I, I don't think it's a matter of saying it. I don't think there's any debate to be settled. I think the only debate to be settled is that they're both not good enough. Wow, <laughs> uh, that's not what I was expecting from you, but we'll we'll run with it. Faz, you got anything for that? Uh, no, not a huge amount. I just I think they're just different different types of players. I mean, Joe Bryan um, is. I think he's good for. I think he's good good option for us. I think that his the fact that he has that in his armory that that excellent cross in from deep there was one the one that springs to my mind but there was like two or three in the game that this isn't just the only one the one that springs to my mind is the one uh later on in the game and Deco Dover Reed uh linking up with his Bristolian pal that almost got on the end of it um and I don't think like like Adam said I don't think he had the best game but we shouldn't judge him on this game given all things considered um, but he's fine. And the same thing, Robinson is just a totally different type of left back. And he has like this unorthodox gait that the way he runs makes him look a bit shakier than, than he actually is. Uh, but he offers something different. He, un- he he doesn't just offer the overlap. He also, as we've seen a few times, we've seen a few underlapping runs, which unlocks defences. And I think that perhaps that his athleticism makes up for any sort of like positional awareness that he might be lacking and that's that's fine to be honest i think i think they're fine i think they're good enough for for fulham at, to to challenge for the top two spots i don't think there's anyone out there that we should try and get in to improve prove that particular position right away i think it's great that we have two particularly good options who are who are settled in this squad and i'm i'm okay with it okay all right, let's get on to the rest of the fence then, uh, because we've got a couple of questions about this. Um, two in particular. Uh, one of these was from James Baldwin, who said, while I think both Ream and Tosin have had solid seasons so far, Tosin's been shaky since returning, and we know Ream's not a long-term option in the Prem. In terms of recruiting for the Premiership, is the centre-back where we need to spend big on one player? And if not, do you think it would be needed elsewhere? And then Ibs said, are you concerned with our back line? Feel like Tete, Robinson, Tosin need someone senior with them to lead slash instruct slash marshal the back line to full effect. They're so young and a little naive at times and Premier League forwards would take advantage if they smell blood. Should we break the bank in the summer? Um, I guess the, the big question here is, is there long-term trust in Fulham's other centre-back options? Or is this the area that Fulham go up to the Premier League if we get there and go, right, we actually need to take full advantage of this time. We need to bring in a centre-back who is going to be, you know, the the kind of big name in this back line. It's, it's strange considering we've spent a lot of money on centre-backs over the previous seasons when we actually look at it. We've spent a lot of money on Mawson. We've spent 
more money than Congolo is worth on Congolo. But when you actually, and, and Hector as well, we have spent money in centre back reinforcements, but I don't really know what we're reinforcing. It's not necessarily a long term plan. I think Tosinado Abayo was an absolute steal. I still think that with the right partner, he is going to come good. He definitely has the potential to be our main centre back. So if it were me, I would probably agree with the point that we it should be a position that we look to strengthen. There's no doubt. I think we need to get rid of some of our options if they're not going to be trusted in the Premier League. Um, I'd probably look towards... I don't necessarily always think that having you know older centre-backs always brings the, um, brings the rewards that it deserves. I think that actually if we just have two really good centre-backs, I'd be happy with it. So I'd maybe look, at, look towards... Maybe some of the options I heard that Chelsea are looking at getting rid of some of their centre-backs and they're not all signing contracts as well. You know, someone like Christiansen, Chalaba would be absolutely incredible. Obviously, they're probably a little bit out, out of our price range, but they would be some great options to bring in uh, alongside Tosin. Um, then there's the point of, is Ream absolutely done in the Premier League? I've not enjoyed watching Tim Ream play in the Premier League previously, but... That being said, I didn't think that Tim Ream had a place in this squad at all this season. I genuinely didn't think that he would get anywhere close to it. And the fact that he's our starting left, sorry, starting left centre back makes me think that having him around the squad next season might still be an option. But yeah, it'd be a place I would look to be strengthening. But would I spend all of like our big bucks on one single player and it'd be a, be a centre back? Maybe not necessarily. Dom, well, I know yeah, you are uh, left back anyway. Yeah, no, yeah. When it when it comes to the defense, I think Adam's right. I think Tossin's definitely there's. You look at him and you see there's a Premier League quality centre back in there. Tim Ream, as we as I said, I love Tim Ream more than anyone anyone else. But I said when we've seen him in the Premier League previously, he hasn't shown anything that would show that he's 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 up to scratch when it comes to that. I think I just if you look at if you look at our team though, and let's say you look at the midfield three, then you look at the front three. If the defense was be if defense was I'm not say sorted out as such, but if you looked at it, I would say the improvement in defense is key because I feel like we've got players on the team who we always know can score goals. The likes of Harry Wilson, the likes of Mitrovic, who got I think in our first season probably got eleven or twelve goals. You got you got Bobby Reid who was our top goal scorer in the Premier League last time. You got you if 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 you can keep Seri, if Angus comes back into the fold, for example, if you got Harrison Reid there as well, you've got players who you know have performed well for us in the Premier League before where. I, don't, I know it's a bit of a different sort of comparison, but if you're looking at our defence, can you name one of our defenders who's played well in the Premier League in, in the pre, in the previous two Premier League campaigns? And I think defence is definitely just the area where we should look to improve. I'm not saying we shouldn't improve our midfield and we shouldn't improve our front line, but I'm saying, especially in that defensive area, we should be, we should be looking to definitely get some Premier League quality centre-backs. And if, let's say we stayed up last season, for example, we, we probably would have got Anderson on a permanent deal Obviously, he went for what twenty odd million to Crystal Palace, and I think if if you got him on a permanent deal there, then it would be somewhere to build on. And so I think I said I think defense is just the area we need to improve on. I understand the defense, our defense hasn't actually been that bad this season. I think Preston and obviously the goal against Bournemouth for the first goals he conceded since um, Lyndon Dyke scored against us for QPR, and so the defense has looked solid this season. But then I feel like when it comes to attackers, they can make a step up to the Premier League because the striker knows where the goal is. I know it's obvious to say, but a striker who goes from the Championship to the Premier League knows how to put in the back of the net. The goal doesn't get any bigger or smaller, whereas defensively, they're coming up against a lot a lot more offensively um, when it comes to ability, higher calibre players. The likes of, as we've seen this season, Mo Salah, we've seen Bernardo Silva, players like this who 
they're going to come against a lot of high caliber players. Whereas I said, a striker is just going to have to put the ball in the back of a net. Yeah, I think that's fair. Farrell, I mean, you know, it's it's one of those where there's always going to be looking to improve a squad if you get promoted, right? It's not about tearing it up and starting again. We've we've learned that the hard way. Um, but it is about trying to continue to to improve upon a squad that you have and is going in the right direction. And you'd look at centre-back and you'd probably look at bringing in another winger option um, who can add goals. Uh, and, and that's where Fulham right now, if I, if I was going up, that's the first two positions I'd be looking at if, if we were going up. Yeah, um, it it's almost as if we're trying to answer a question that hasn't been asked yet because we're, you know, we're, we're sort of looking at this theoretical position that Fulham do go up. Hopefully, it will be, um, and I don't know whether, you know, Marco Silva or anyone that is actually asking that of the squad at the moment because they're too concentrated on getting promoted. You know, we are still looking at a team. As far as I know, as far as I, I can remember, I think we've only conceded more than once in a game once, which was, I think, the Reading game at home. Mm-hmm. Apart from that, we've got a plethora of clean sheets. Uh, and we've only... Coven- Coventry. Oh, of course, Coventry. So I've blacked that one out from my memory, obviously. I think most um, people have. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think I can add much more than what the guys have said anyway, but I'm sure that our first signing that we'll get in will end up being a goalkeeper anyway. <laughs> it always is. It always is. I've actually got a question directly for you, Faz, because I definitely don't know the answer. But Colm says, um, are the assistant refs or linesmen allowed to interject with the main referee anymore, i.e. contentious decisions? Harry Wilson's penalty shout, referee seemed to be listening to his earpiece after he'd already waved away the protests. Um, I fully don't know the answer, but it feels like the only thing you might. Well, it's an interesting one because I don't think there's there's a particular rule. I think it comes down to like the referee team on the day. Um, obviously, I think a lot of the time now that there are set sort of like referee and, and the two assistants who are sort of come together as like a nice little uh, Christmas package from Boots, you know, three for two sort of situation. Um, but like, I feel like they will come up with their sort of system as to what they do. Like when I was doing my referees training, what seems like a long, long time ago now, that there'll be different systems depending on who, if I was an assistant referee, um, the man in the middle or the person in the middle sh- uh, would sort of go, well, we, you you just do your sort of little hurt, uh, third uh, for fouls. And there'll be other referees who'd be like, no, I don't want you to do fouls. You only just concentrate on the ball going in and out and, and, like, and uh, doing the offside. Um, I think there's probably lots has changed over the years now the introductions of headsets and whatnot. But of course, there are situations where the referee will ma- will be the first person to make the call, but will make a signal and it might be very, very subtle over to the assistant referee. I'm not making this decision here. I'm looking at you to make the decision. And if the assistant doesn't do anything, then the referee will probably just go with their first instinct. And that's probably what happened with the with the Wilson challenge that's probably why a lot of times that something happens and then nothing happens for a little while and then the assistant will all of a sudden start flagging and making a signal but I, I certainly think that that is the case I think there's a lot of times now that the referee will just make go with their instinct first of all but if they can't make a decision they'll look over um, and wait for the assistant to overall if not they're just going to go with their first decision that's probably what we saw a lot of the time really Okay. 
There you have it. Thank you, Farrell. Uh, there you go, Colin. We've all learned something today. And don't tell me that every day is not a school day on Fulhamish. Right, I've got a last question. Um, I just want to shout out to, to Matt Wall before we do this. Um, we're going to talk about uh, the contract situations on Thursday when we have Peter in the studio. So I haven't forgotten your question. Uh, we are just going to push that one to the Thursday club. Um, but Adbron Smith uh, says, you scored the winner in the last minute against Bournemouth. How are you celebrating and why? Um, AF, I feel like you should start us off with. Well, I mean, he. In, we need to do something for the cameras because, you know, Parker's basically played the entirety of Friday's night for the cameras for a game that wasn't about him. You know, he's he's come out for the pre-kickoff. Now, anyone remember Parker coming out for, a, you know, a pre-kickoff warm-up um, with Fulham? No, not in the two years he was there. Half when he was a player, he came out, you know, right in front of the cameras. Half the time he didn't come out for the pre-match warm-ups when he was a player. Exactly that. Came out, you know, last from the dugout, proper big slav move. But, you know, it's not about him. It's not about Parker, any of this. Um, so when it comes to the reverse fixture, you know, whoever scores really just has to run straight up to the camera and pretend to be Scott Parker. There is no other answer uh, for this question. <laughs> How do you do that? How do you do that? Go on, explain it to me. On a podcast, it's going to be difficult, but you basically just have to look like you know what you're doing a lot better than you actually do. And then probably just be, oh, the best one would be if they brought out like a little London bus figure and just pulled that out of their pocket and showed that because, you know, he does love to park the bus more than anyone I've ever met. Parker the bus, uh, as Jack and Laws called it, which I, which I enjoyed. Dom, I mean, you, you probably would have missed the celebrations because you've been in the, in the pub. Um, but, but how are you celebrating a last minute winner? Without Mitrovic, I'm I'm doing a is it, is it Ellison for Newport who did who, who celebrated right in front or against Newport right in front of his full manager manager mm. uh, just give, giving it absolutely massive. Uh, but if it's me personally, I'm going straight up to Ryan Christie. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't know. I invite you on podcasts. Um, <laughs> just don't put me and Dom on the same pod again, please, Farrell. Um, Faza, <laughs> how are you celebrating? Uh... I've always been a fan of the Balotelli one he did in the in the Euros against Germany. I think everyone wants to see me in my peak condition at the end of the game. Absolutely no celebrate in front of uh, in front of the adoring home fans. Hmm. I, I've always said that the, I thought an Adebayor might be fun. Uh, you know, <laughs> the full length of the pitch to knee slide in front of Scott Parker uh, while just like hands out, stretch while Scott Parker throws water bottles at you. No, um, it needs to be one of those knee slides where the knee slides fails and you fall on your face as well. Well, the Tom Kearney special. Mm. Yeah, the Tom <laughs> Kearney special, yeah. Um, we should probably discuss Toast in celebration before we go because this is brilliant shit shithousery this to to go and do the Solanke celebration pointing at Solanke um is 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 quite something really I, I don't really know where it came from it felt pure malicious which is that's not like we've seen huge amounts of from Tosin I don't want to piss on everyone's chits but I think they're actually mates yeah no no I, yeah, that, yeah ex- so exactly that makes it better. yeah makes it that makes it better if, 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 Jack oh, okay. had a, if Jack had a trademark celebration and I scored against me in five side I'm doing it in front of his face <laughs> what do you mean? If Jack had a trademark celebration, I do have a trademark celebration. I'm just there's a reason you haven't seen it. It's because I don't want you copying. You don't it. score. <laughs> no, I knew you were going to say that. Hey, look, only one of us has ever got a brace for full of it. Just put it that way. Um, but it's um, it's important to discuss. Oh, look, I thought it was great. I thought it was great value. I, I mean, I didn't the see it at I the time. Fulhamish, I was the most hungover I think I've ever been in my life. <laughs> what? What? Every day. Um, yeah. That doesn't narrow the days down, does it? Um, no. I I think the toast celebration was great. It's better if they're mates, Farrell. Like it's a better thing that you're nicking your mate's celebration and doing it to get the equaliser and really piss on his chips. I thought it was great fun. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I, I love it. I think I think it's great. Although I didn't even spot it first of all. I think I was so so enraged by the uh by the first goal from Solanke that I didn't even notice that Tosin had actually celebrated in exactly the same way. Well, I didn't notice it at the time either because I was about four rows deep. Um, <laughs> I, I've never I found myself standing on the back of a chair and was like, oh gosh, this is not where I intended to be because I uh, bounced up a row this weekend because we, hadn't, we didn't have enough seats for uh, all the crowd we were with. So I sat in the row behind me, which was great fun. I had a great time with, with all the lads <laughs> in the row behind. But then I went out to celebrate with my brother, I realized I was standing on the top of his seat and it was like a video. It was just sort of very, very angry man on chair. Um, so I, I didn't see it until I got home, but um, there it was. Big up row W you yeah yeah or whatever my, guy, it my is. guys in uh well it must be mm in, in h4 mm. there you go mm. that's, that's what they were thinking i'm sure um right <laughs> on that bombshell i think it's probably time we call this a day that's um what's left uh, to do is to name this podcast uh, the power goes back to you af i'm gonna go with cdm 84's popping toasin's cherry yeah, I mean, of course, it felt like the only one that could, uh, it, unless it was just I love TC, but I feel like it'd be a bit of a mad name for a podcast. Also, Dean did use an emoji as well, and I don't actually think our podcast designs can take emojis, so that was another good reason. Absolutely, right. What's left for me to do is say thank you very much to this panel, to Mr. Farrell Monk. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Uh, Mr. Madden Carson. Thank you, mate. And to Mr. Don Betts. Pleasure as always. I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Fulhamish Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We are still top of the league. You white. You white.